Hi, this is Chad Gordon. The COVID-19 pandemic is bringing new challenges every day to both our professional and personal lives. In this interview with Judd Hoekstra, which was recorded prior to the coronavirus outbreak, we discuss some of the common reactions people have when they're asked to change. And that's something we're all facing today. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear, and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Gordon. Now, if you're anything like anybody in the business world or in the personal world, change is inevitable. It happens every day. It can sometimes feel like a complete shock to the system. It could be something you want to resist. It could be something that is very difficult to deal with. But since it's inevitable, could we actually plan for it? Could we actually look ahead and and be prepared when the inevitability of change happens and occurs? Well, that's the topic today on the Blanchard Leader Chat podcast. And we are joined by... Judd Hoekstra, one of the co-authors of the book, Who Killed Change? Solving the Mystery of Leading People Through Change. Judd Hoekstra, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, Chad. Thanks for having me. Well, it's really good to have you here as well. So it's such a, it's a fun read because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a film noir. It's kind of a, like a, a, a murder mystery, so to speak. And it's, it's, uh, um, it's a really fun way to look at these business principles. And, and this particular one is around change. When you look at change, and I mentioned this in the front end, you know, how would somebody be able to prepare for this? Let's really dig into that. How could I get better at dealing with change? Well, I think the first thing that I would recommend is let's understand what typically what people typically think and feel as they go through change. And let's also understand what we've learned from past changes, both what's worked as well as what often happens more often is what doesn't work. And so, you know, we've we've really done a lot of research to identify what are those things that cause change to to either fail or get derailed, go off the tracks. And so the more that you understand about those things, then the more you can be proactive and plan around them and, and figure out ways to to avoid those pitfalls, if you will, those landmines. Yeah, and it, it's an inevitability. I mean, if you are in business today, if you have a job, if you have a job at McDonald's or you have a job uh, at, at Google, um, if you're on the front lines, if you're in the in the in the 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 you know the white collar uh, offices on the top floor, change is going to happen because every single day organizations they're they're launching change initiatives, and some are really big and expensive ones. And uh, and what the research shows, uh, um, despite the fact that they want these things to be successful, 50 to 70% of these change efforts fail. And so it's so, I mean, the, the, the value of being able to deal with change better could, could impact the bottom line in such a profound way. Exactly, Chad. The, the interesting thing from my perspective is my colleague and I, Pat Zagarmi, that 
uh, co-authored our Leading People Through Change program. When we did our research, you know, there was a relatively limited number of predictable reasons why change fails. And when you look at those reasons that often can be traced back to ineffective leadership. And so if we know what those reasons are, then, like I said, we can develop the skills and the leaders and help them, you know, not avoid the, or we can help them avoid and, and not repeat the same mistakes they've made in the past. And, and for new leaders that haven't maybe necessarily tread down that road, you know, you don't have to put your hand on the stove. You can actually, you know, learn from what's, what others have already learned. Okay. So let's, let's look at it from, because there's different ways to look at this, you know, how to be a part of a change effort. So how to lead up and during a change situation, but let's look at it that is as if I'm leading a change or I'm part of a team and organization that is going to be leading a change effort. What would be in your experience? And you have a long history of consulting um, experience uh, dating back to Accenture and Arthur Anderson. What, what is your experience? What's one of the first steps you need to take um, if, if you want to lead a change effort and have it be successful? I think the, you know, the, the first thing to do is to get people involved in the change effort. We know for a fact that too often people are, are left out of the change process until they're asked to, to behave differently and they're not involved in the planning of it. They're not involved in any of the, the implementation until you know, maybe the, the very back end. And it's really tough to develop any buy-in or commitment to the change when you're not involved in it. And so, as a leader, the first thing you can do is get people involved. And one of the ways that you can get people involved quickly is let's understand what your questions and concerns are related to the change so that we can have a dialogue around the change and not just a monologue. And so there, you know, our research, again, shows that people go through predictable and sequential stages of concern. They have predictable questions as they're going through the change process. And so by knowing those in advance, we're able to effectively answer those and have a communication, a dialogue, as I mentioned. And so I'll just give you an example. Uh, At the beginning of a change effort, people ask questions such as, what is this change? Why is it needed? What's wrong with the way things are now? And then very quickly after they get answers to some of those questions about the change, they begin asking, you know, how's this going to affect me personally? Am I going to win or lose? Am I going to have the skills I need to be able to, to operate in the new environment that I'm being put into? You know, where do I go for help if things aren't working out? And so by knowing these questions in advance that people have, you can build a communication plan around that. You can get them involved. You can ask them what additional questions they have that maybe aren't, that, that don't fall into the you know, the 95% of ones that are predictable. Yeah. So you've, you've, you've covered, I think one of the topics you've talked about information concerns and just being proactive with, with sharing the message and then, and, and then also answering those personal concerns. Uh, you know, why do you think, what did you, what's your research shown? Why do, you know, I've been a part of changes. You've been a part of changes where it just happened. And one day we, you showed up on a Monday and it, this is just the way it is. And that you the, the, the research show that doesn't work really well. Why do you, why do you see those things happen? Is that a cultural um, more of a cultural issue? You know, I, I think it's true across cultures. I think that the there, there's many cases where leaders feel like announcing the change and telling people what to do differently is the most expedient way to get the change implemented. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that, you know, announcing a change and telling people about it um, and asking them to do something different isn't the same as building buying and commitment to that change. So people first need to understand you know, what's wrong with the way things are now? Why can't we keep doing what we're doing? And then if, if we're changing, what does the picture of the future look like? What's our vision for this? So that, you know, if you're asking me to, to leave the comfort of the status quo, 
where are you asking me to go? What, you know, what's it going to look like? Is it going to be better than where I am right now? And people need to know where they're headed before they're willing to leave the comfort of the status quo. So I think a lot of it is people think that what's fastest in terms of decision-making, which is not usually to involve a lot of people, that that faster decision-making translates to faster realization of results and action. And it's actually just the opposite. You know, If you leave people out of the process of decision-making about how to best implement this change, you don't get their buying and commitment. The, the change stalls and you end up not either not realizing the results at all or in a much longer time frame than what you set out to. Yeah, it reminds me of that quote, if you if you fail to plan, um, you plan to fail. And so what I'm hearing from you, and in, in, it has a lot to do around uh, a collaborative, uh, an inspirational, inspiring leader, just to get rally people behind the message versus, um, you know, a stagecoach where you just say, get on board, this is what we're doing, and start hard driving. Yeah, it's, there's a quote um, that I love, which is, people who are left out of change have a really funny way of reminding us how important they are. And what you usually see is you see, you see a great deal of resistance when people are left out of the change process. Uh, we know that one of the basic human motivators is autonomy, the ability to either make or influence decisions that affect our lives. And so people want to have a say, even if it's, you know, even if they're not getting their way all the time, they want to be heard. And the idea of surfacing these questions and concerns and giving people a voice during the change process and in reality, not only is it a smart to get buy-in and commitment, but you're going to end up getting a better solution as well because the people closest to the front line are the ones that have you know great ideas about how to make things better. Yeah, yeah. One of your co-authors on this book is is Ken Blanchard, and so many great uh, stories and examples. He's just a wealth of of, of those uh, experiences to kind of share those through. But let's let's get back to the 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 model as you shared before. So you know, if we we start with information concerns and letting people know this is what's happening, and we talk about how it's going to affect you. What's the next step? What is that next step of that? As you said, predictable pattern of 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 feelings or uh, situations that happen during a change process? Yeah, it is those personal concerns. So right after you get enough information about what the change is and why it's needed, people go straight to, how's this going to affect me? And am I going to win or lose? A lot of people will ask, well, I still have a job. You know, Am I going to report into the same leader? Am I going to still work with the same set of teammates that I had? And at this point in time, it's pretty interesting. One of the things we know is a common reaction when people go through change is that they feel like they're the only ones going through it even though everyone around them is going through the same change. So they kind of, you know, hunker down and isolate themselves. And what we're trying to do is create dialogue and build community so that people realize, hey, I'm not the only one going through this and I can share my questions with others. And oh, by the way, they have those same questions. That makes me feel better. Um, And, you know, it's so the personal concerns are we, we say they're the most overlooked and under-addressed concerns or questions throughout the change process. And if if you don't, as a leader, take the time to surface and address those those questions and concerns, people are going to get stuck in that stage. And you know, Ken often uses the quote, what you resist persists. And that's true of personal concerns. So if you're not 
taking the time to surface those, you're going to, you're going to slow down the change process. And, and one of my quotes is, uh, is, uh, it's, it's just business. It is personal because <laughs> it really is. It's, you know, the opposite of what is always the common thought is like, no, it's, it's not personal. It's business. No, it is. This actually is people. It involves people. And, and if you don't get them involved, uh, um, there's going to be resistance and it's, it, it may not succeed. So, so you've had such great experience. So we'll break away for just a second from, from the book, just from your personal experiences. Are there any change, um, uh, processes or any, any change, uh, initiatives that you were brought into an organization that you can name them or you could talk to by, by industry, but where, um, it's either an exemplar or like where they really did it right. And, and these are the steps they took that you can highlight or ones that just, just failed miserably from your long experience in this field. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a many examples of, of both, uh, successful changes as well as those that weren't successful. And one of the ones that I can highlight is, from one of our clients, Barilla America, and they had a they had a great change process. They implemented um, a new ERP system that you know changed around not only the technology that they were using and got everybody on a common platform, but also re-engineered their core business processes and had people doing work in new and different ways than they had before. And you know the, the process I can I can give some examples of some of the things that they did, which was you know in line with the leading people through change model. Uh, but just as an example, as a way to create dialogue, they had these Ask Ed sessions. So Ed was the project leader. He was the sort of the main sponsor of this um, big change effort that they were going through. And, you know, he he had once a month, he would have these town halls where people would have an opportunity to get together and uh, he would give an update as to what had happened over the course of the last month. He would share what's going to be happening over the over the course of the next month, what was the plan, and then he would celebrate the accomplishments uh, and, and people that had been part of it, and then he would ask people to to you know share questions that they had that were on their mind. And it was interesting because uh, not a lot of people showed up to to one of the first ones that went, and then you know gradually over the course of time, when they realized, wow, these are really valuable, and we can have a dialogue, and we can get our questions answered, and it's just some you know it's a key way of having straight talk then more and more people showed up and this ended up becoming a key communication vehicle for them. And, uh, you know, Laura Burke is the um, chief human resources officer at Brill America. And she, you know, she has a number of stories related to this change and she was a key, key change leader um, that, that led this process. But one of the things that she shared with me, which was just awesome was that they, they didn't have a single customer that knew they were even going through this change. It was it was done so well that it was transparent to, to every, or it was, you know, no, no one, including their biggest customer, uh, Walmart even knew that the change was going on and that they, that they revamped all their systems and processes. And, and, and it's, it's, uh, to quote Ken Blanchard again, duh, right. It's like, it's just include people, get people involved and give them a chance to air their, their questions and, 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 and involve them into the process. That's such a great example with Barilla, which is obviously one of the world's leading uh, pasta providers, uh, out there. Um, what's, what's an example where you, you kind of shake your head, you may not want to name them, but what's your example where you go, man, that just, that was really poorly thought out and it just did not hit the mark. And what were the what were the warning signs that you saw along the way? Yeah, it was interesting. I worked with a, a pharmaceutical organization that had a new leader coming in, uh, taking over a particular function, and he he didn't necessarily respect the existing culture, and he he was highly critical of what had happened in the past, 
not necessarily a good way to break in and <laughs> and uh, build advocacy, right? But um, this this leader ended up alienating himself, and <clears throat> it wasn't until we started working with him and saying you'd be really wise to start including some of the people who already are viewed as highly influential within your within your group here. And even if they don't have a lot of uh, formal leadership experience, people listen to these folks. So the people that are actually even highly resistant to what you're trying to do right now, we you know bring your enemies close, if you will, mm. uh, bring the resistors in and ask them why they're resistant. Find out what it is that's causing them to to see the world differently than how you're seeing it and why they're concerned that this change isn't going to work and what they would do to get it back on track. And you know through the course of doing this, um, bringing the resistors onto the change leadership team was able to problem solve. And there's this old saying, you know, those who plan the battle rarely battle the plan. So if you get the people who are most resistant involved in the planning of the change, you, you end up having them support the change. And people say, you know, it's kind of like the, the old life serial commercials, you know, Oh my gosh, Mikey likes it. If Mikey <laughs> likes it, we'll, yeah, we'll eat it too. And uh, that's a little bit of what happened in that particular scenario. So it was a it was a good positive turnaround, but it was heading in a downward spiral pretty quickly to start with. Well, and, and so I, I, you know, there's a couple takeaways there. I, li- I like that analogy. I like that story. But but ch- you know, change efforts can be salvaged. It's it's important to to uh, have somebody that you, you can work with that can help you uh, get the plan together. Um, it's best if you could start from the very beginning on the right right track. But that was an opportunity where you were able to salvage that. Um, and it is interesting that I, there's not a listener right now that, that that can't think of somebody in their circle or somebody in their their business uh, uh, world that that would be the gung ho. I'm absolutely in. Yes, let's do this. I'm I'm motivated. And then on the same breath, also go. I know the exactly the person that would fight this tooth and nail. And so I find that so interesting that you say bring them on. Uh, find out where the challenges are going to be and get those resistors to be a part of your implementation plan. That's that's a, such a profound idea. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, so we know for a fact people are at different levels of readiness for a change as well. So in addition to you know bringing resistors in early in the process to understand why they're why they have con- those concerns, and we actually wouldn't even view it as outright resistance. We would view it as you know they have concerns which are unaddressed, questions which are unaddressed that need to be addressed, and so bring those people in, surface those things quickly. And the other is actually do bring on early adopters as well, people that are gung ho and excited about the change and willing to, you know, pilot it and, and kind of play in a sandbox a little bit and get dirty and messy and figure out what's working and what isn't working before you roll it out to everybody. And then you've got this mix of, you know, of, uh, great early adopters, as well as people that have kind of put it through the battle, you know, through the fire, if you will, and battle tested it so that when it does go out to the larger organization, you can have the confidence that it's going to produce the results that you want. So you said something there that, that, that pinged my interest in, you know, probably uh, the audience as well. Like, how do you gauge the readiness? How do you actually find out how how ready you are to, for this change? Yeah, we actually have a change readiness survey that is a helpful tool in that regard. And then, you know, just from a personal perspective, one of the activities that we do in the in the leading people through change workshop is we we ask um, people to go through a series of changes to their physical appearance over the course of time. And <clears throat> excuse me and you can often get some clues as to people that are, uh, you know, they, they anticipate and like change as part of their personality and disposition versus those that are maybe folding their arms across their chest and a little more on the, 
I'm going to wait and see how this works outside of things. So I think there's there are there are ways to find those who are change ready, and I think even just honestly um, identifying who are the influential people that are excited about this is a great way to you know identify those early adopters and get them involved in the process early. Okay, great. These this is great advice, and and uh, um, and there's you said there's there's a lot of resources that we can we can find online. We'll talk about that towards the end of the uh, of the recording. Um, what are some of the other stages of concern? What else are we going to be faced with? Again, you you've got the research. You you know that these things are going to be coming up. What are the things that are going to come up, and how can you prepare for them? Yeah. Then after information concerns and personal concerns, then the next stage is implementation concerns. And it's really where people want to know the details, the nitty gritty, you know, what do I do first, second, third, you know, how, who am I going to be collaborating with? Um, What happens if things don't go as planned? Where's the help desk? You know, who do I talk to? So it it really, this is kind of where you're, you're about ready to, um, you're building infrastructure, you're about ready to have the change go live and people are going to have lots of concerns around that. And what, What's interesting, Chad, is that these first three stages of concern, information, personal implementation, most of the time leaders that are that are you know leading this change effort, they have already gone through these first three stages themselves because they have access to more information than others. They've figured out how it's going to affect them personally, and they know to a degree what the plan is as far as implementation, at least at a high level. And so their tendency is to actually want to sort of sell the change to talk about all the impact that it's going to have because that's where that's where they're at and they don't realize the rest of the organization is back at needing to just understand what the change is and how it's going to affect them personally and what the plan is well before worrying about what the impact is and so you know the the message here is you you have to meet people where they're at we, we've just got time for a few more questions. Uh, um, let, let's turn the tables. When I initially came in uh, to this discussion, I was talking about somebody leading a change, a manager, a, a leader of a change, a change uh, a committee. Let's let's be very selfish here. Let's 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 say you are a part of a change thrust upon yourself. I'm a part of a change that thrust upon it, as as is inevitable. Um, what are some of the traits? What are some of the things that we can do proactively to better? Uh, deal with change and be more successful to that change, which is, as I said, inevitable? Yeah, it's a great question. I, my number one answer is get yourself involved. You know, don't sit on the sidelines. Change is a participation sport. Uh, identify ways that you can contribute. So ask questions, um, do it in a tactful way. Uh, say, hey, I'm curious about this. I'm, you know, I'm not sure uh, whether you've got the answer to this. Don't assume that that your leader or those around you have all the answers, but raise the question and um, get a dialogue going. So be part of, you know, be part of the the answer or the solution, not just identifying problems. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that we do is we we can ask people, you know, in your own organization, what are the things that that are sort of trust boosters when it comes to change, and what are trust busters when it comes to change. And then when you when you boil it down and you look at the lists of those, the answers are pretty obvious. You know, people that uh, are are not sharing their questions or con- or concerns with their leader, but being critical, kind of the water cooler talk, and you know, talking with their peers and in a way, you know, sabotaging what the message is, uh, you know, spreading rumors. Those are the things that that are you know change busters, if you will. And we we definitely want people to be on the the change booster. So, what can I do to contribute to the positive success of the change? Can I get myself involved in a pilot? Can I 
can I ask, you know, could I go benchmark another organization and find out how they did it so we can, you know, learn from, from what others have been successful on or, or maybe not uh, what they've been successful, but avoid some of the, the lessons learned that they've had. What else? What else has your research uh, shown you to be, uh, to be valuable um, as you look towards the model? Or what are the last few pieces, uh, last few stages? Because we're, we're getting into the implement, implementation, so things are starting to happen. Is there a moment where you can actually course correct? Yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, and there's, as I mentioned, different people are going to be in different stages. So you're going to have the opportunity um, to influence your peers. And one of the things that our research showed, which is really interesting, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, information about the importance of sponsorship and senior leadership involvement. And there's no doubt that that is important. And I would never want to underplay that. But that's actually expected. It's table stakes when it comes to what most employees think. You, you know, you're going to expect your senior leaders to support a change. You're going to expect them to, you know, to communicate about it, be involved. But what we what we really do find more and more is that it's peer to peer advocacy that really influences people more than anything. So, you know, in your organization, Chad and Blanchard, you're going to expect your sales leader to be sharing with you information about supporting a change and so on and you know, that's important. And what you're going to do is you're going to turn to your colleagues and you have conversations with them and you're going to take their cue as much as you are your leaders. And you're going to say, you know, gosh, are my colleagues on board? And the more that you are one of those colleagues that's on board and supporting the change and, and helping others see the value of it and taking actions to get themselves involved, then the more likely it is this is going to change. So, that the change will go for the better. So this is, uh, in a nutshell, it's involve the, the, the right people, involve people early, uh, communicate, communicate, and communicate. So as we're wrapping up here, Judd, what is, what, you know, what's, what's the thought here? What's the, the final te- kind of takeaway that you want people to, to uh, really get out of this conversation today so they, they can be the best leader they can be? Yeah, I think the, the reality of any change is that it requires a lot of discretionary effort. It's separate from someone's day job in the vast majority of cases. And so in order to tap into that discretionary effort, you're going to need a village. You're not going to be able to do it with a small leadership team. You're not going to be able to do it with a small number of people, you know, plowing forward with the change and having the vast majority of people um, uninvolved. You're you're going to want that discretionary effort. And the only way you're going to get it is to, um, you know, to build this village around you. And, you know, we, we have the saying within Blanchard that it takes a village almost whenever we have any big change that's going on and any big result that happens from that change. And it truly does take a village. So that's what I would like to, to keep in mind. We've been talking with Judd Hoekstra, one of the co-authors of the book, Who Killed Change? Solving the Mystery of Leading People Through Change. So Judd, if, if people wanted to dig deeper into this topic, what do you recommend? Yeah, I think there's a couple resources. Um, certainly the book, Who Killed Change. We have a couple chapters in the book, Leading at a Higher Level, which give more details on our Leading People Through Change model and the approach. And we also have an uh, area of our website under the products and services section dedicated to Leading People Through Change, where people can can go on the KenBlanchard.com website. All right. Well, some great resources there to, to check out. And if people wanted to check uh, check you out, Judd, where would they find you? LinkedIn is a great way to, to reach me. I try to stay in connection with everybody that's sending out individual messages. So that's the best place to reach me. All right. Judd Oakster, thank you so much for being a part of this episode of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Thank you, Judd. Thank you, Chad. Much appreciated.
And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. Chad, I really enjoyed your interview with Judd Hoekstra. Judd is one of my favorite people. Not only did he go to Cornell, but he's been a major player in our Blanchard company uh, for many, many years. And he really understands the importance of change. And he realizes that the reason why change doesn't work is people start thinking that announcing the change is the important thing and it's the same as implementing it. No, what you got to do if you're going to implement and be successful as change, as Judd indicated, you got to involve people. We got to remember our thing that we've been talked about many, many times is that none of us is as smart as all of us. And boy, does that uh, go with implementing change. Because the way it gets bogged down is that we don't involve people and then may become resistors of the change because they aren't heard and all. And what you want to really do is to get as many people involved as you can so that the change becomes their change and not your change. So powerful, powerful stuff. This is the kind of thing that you need to share with all your uh, leaders because it's the leaders that goof up change because they get their ego in the way and they think that they can just point the direction and everybody's going to follow. It doesn't happen. Change is a collaborative process. Remember that. God bless.